Well, it's the first month of the new year, just two days left of January, the beginning of 2022. And many times when we enter, enter into a new year, we have high expectations. Some, sometimes they're just a little bit too high, maybe. Or maybe the beginning of this year has been a big letdown. Many experience when you enter the new season or new time of year, some people experience the blues or the blahs. Blues and blahs can become discouragement. The future doesn't look very bright and promising. You look at the news and some of the things that are happening and you go, oh, I don't know if I like what's going on. And you tend to fall into discouragement, discouragement. Discouragement is defined as to deprive of courage, hope or confidence, or to dishearten. Discouragement. And the question is for you, has life become too complex? Is it too busy? Are you having too many hassles? Are you overwhelmed by your circumstances? Maybe it's your schedule at work or demands of family, obstacles that have just raised their head and you go, oh no, I didn't know that was coming up. Maybe you're short of money. Now you have to find a way to pay for those bills in your budget. Life is out of control. And we get, get hit with something called discouragement. All of us from time to time get discouraged. Okay? So if you are discouraged or you've been discouraged any time in your life, you're in good company. We're all in the same boat. There's one thing all human beings have in common. It's that we all experience this thing called discouragement. And today we're going to look at a character in the Bible who had great faith. He had great charisma. He had incredible abilities. He was famous. He was powerful. And he was influential. He had everything going for him. But he got discouraged. So discouraged that he wished he was dead. Now that's, that's really discouraged. And I'd like us to join him this morning as we look at 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, it's on page 285 in the Bible in Iraq. It'll also be on the pro, uh, projection in front of you. 1 Kings, as we look at this passage. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread and baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord my God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered like the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And God said, I heard that just a minute ago. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. said, so Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. And all those mouths that have not kissed him. We're going to look at five facts of discouragement today. There are probably a lot more, but we're going to try to find five facts about discouragement as we look at this this morning. Then we're going to look at the characteristics of the encourager and God's answer to discouragement. The five facts, number one, letter A. Discouragement sometimes follows great success. Discouragement sometimes follows great success. In the preceding chapter, chapter 18, Elijah had experienced this incredible success. If you're, if you're not familiar with the story, we don't have time to look at it today. But in chapter 18, Elijah had experienced a showdown. Elijah had a showdown on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of a fa- false cult, Baal worshippers, tried in vain to get their God to send fire from heaven, but nothing happened. Baal failed to perform. And he had said, if Baal performs, then you can worship him. If God performs, then you need to worship our God. Then Elijah upped the stakes. He soaked his offering with tons of water. Then he called on his God and zap, fire from heaven, God performed. And that proved to the people publicly that God was real. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. This was an incredible, incredible victory for Elijah. Elijah won. He won high on the mountaintop. But as you know, as I know, on the other side of a mountaintop experience comes a valley. Okay? There's always a mountaintop. There's always a valley at the other end. A valley for Elijah. And there's a valley for you and me as well. We reach an apex of our career. We reach a long-sought goal. We finish a degree, experience great success. We get to that goal and wham, discouragement. It's part of the emotional, physical, and spiritual letdown after a great experience of success. And we think, am I ever going to be back there again? Discouragement. Sometimes discouragement follows great success. 
Now comes the letdown or the blues. Secondly, fear. Fear breeds discouragement. Elijah's success threatened the political regime of Israel, King Ahab, and his wife Jezebel. So Jezebel put out a contract on Elijah. Now, something about having a contract on your head, this brings a little bit of discouragement, just a small degree of fear. I don't know if you, you know, you probably watch TV and you watch movies and you see that uh, somebody has a contract on their head. Um, it's, it's nothing to take lightly. There's a small degree of fear. And fear breeds discouragement. Fear paralyzes. Fear makes us think irrationally. Fear undermines our faith because it's really the opposite of faith. And fear is a very common emotion today. Watch the news and then worry. We worry. Quit watching the news. You know, you need to stay in touch with what's going on. But fear brings worry. And we see so many things out there to fear. We're hearing about World War III and Russia, Ukraine, and China, Taiwan, and, and Iran. And we're hearing all these things overseas. And, and we've got all these things happening with mandates. And, and then you've got the Canadian truckers. Yay, go truckers. Um, you know, all this stuff. But it, it tends to breed discouragement. Fear brings worry. It's worry. There was a guy who claimed to have found a bulletproof solution to worry. You want a solution to worry? This is it. And his friend asked him what his solution was. He said, I hire somebody to worry for me. He said, really? You hire somebody to worry for me? He says, yeah. He said, wow. How much does that cost? He said, $1,000 a week. He says, $1,000 a week? Where are you going to get that kind of money? He said, well, that's his first worry. <laughs> Fear breeds discouragement. So, th thirdly, let us see. Physical exhaustion can bring discouragement. Elijah, fearful for his life, ran to Beersheba about 30 miles and went a day's journey further. That's like running to Menominee and then taking the rest of the distance to Minneapolis, okay, on foot. He was exhausted. I don't, I don't know the last time you ran 30 miles. I know that Greg, Greg Linbow used to do 60-mile super marathons. And, of course, um, that's not something most of us would try. But it's a long ways, long ways. And after that time, he was exhausted. Now, we may run from fear, not physically, but we may run from fear emotionally or spiritually. And our race from fear brings physical exhaustion, brings discouragement. I mean, when I talk to people today, just, just the last two years, with the fear that's been hammering at us and hammering and hammering at us, and people are just tired. We're exha they're exhausted. It brings exhaustion. One study showed that 78% of all Americans need more rest. 78% of all Americans need more rest. The other 22% don't have children, but that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> what happens to your motor when you're tired? Physical exhaustion can bring discouragement. It's just, just tired. Fourthly, everyone experiences discouragement. Everyone experiences discouragement. No one is exempt. Some experience it more or less than others, but sooner or later, it knocks on every one of our doors. Discouraged because of family disappointments or discovery of abuse, human inadequacies, 
vocational failure, unexpected bills, nagging physical problems, unending pain, conflicts in marriage, problems with a child. You name it, you name it. It's, there are a lot of things that just cause discouragement. Everyone experiences it. And E, discouragement can be destructive and debilitating. Destructive and debilitating. In verse 4, Elijah is so exhausted, tired. He says, I've had enough. How many of you have ever said that to God? I've had enough. I've had enough. God, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. Then he says, now, O Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. Elijah has concluded that his, his life is useless, his work is fruitless, and life is no longer worth living. I don't know if you've ever been that low, but he said, life is no longer worth living. So he said, God, just kill me. Put me out of my misery. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer all our prayers? That was not a prayer God would answer. What do we do when we're that low? And it's amazing. You, know, you can fight 49 battles in a row. You win by God's strength. When it comes to number 50, we just collapse in a heap. Say, I can't do it anymore. Can't do it anymore. And I don't know if you're like me. I, I, make, I make lists. I have a prioritized daily task list, and I put it out there. And I, I remember times in my ministry and in family and stuff, I'd make this list, and we're look, going down this list of all the stuff that you have to do. And you look at the list in a whole, and you go, there is no way I can do this. And then you realize, oh, one at a time. One day at a time. One task at a time. You don't have to do it all at once. We tend to look at life and say, oh, man, that's too big for me. It's too much. Instead, just say simply one, one day at a time. One challenge at a time. Discouragement can be destructive and debilitating. Those are facts about discouragement. You can probably name a whole bunch more. But let's talk about the characteristics of the encourager. Characteristics of the encourager. This story is about Elijah, but it's really a story about God. It's really a story about God. God is the other character in this story. What do we discover about God? First of all, he's always there. He's always there. Elijah goes from the mountaintop victory. God is there. He runs 30 miles a day's journey. He's exhausted. Where's God? God, he's still there. He's still there. There's a psalm. You guys know this is my favorite psalm. Probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. Psalm 139. It says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David's asking that. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is light to you. God is there all the time. All the time. I shared this story once before. When I was five years old, we were living in Japan. My parents were missionaries in Japan. And every summer, for a couple weeks, we would take a vacation, go on vacation, to a, 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 it was a volcanic mountain lake called Lake Nojiri. Nojiri. And my father had 
taken time to build a small log cabin about a mile up the hillside about the lake. Right on the lake was a little church where we attended Sunday services as a family. And one Sunday night, it was warm and sunny, and we walked down to the lake for the Sunday night service. Near the end of the service, a huge thunderstorm moved in. We had torrential rains, heavy winds, thunder and lightning. And we had to walk back to the cabin up a steep dirt path, which by now had turned into a stream of water and mud. It was my dad and mom and my two older brothers. And making it worse, it was absolutely pitch black. There were no lights. What I remember... Lost my notes here. With the wind, torrential rain, the pitch black, thunder and lightning all around us, we worked our way up that path. I remember slipping, falling. I remember being drenched to the bone. And as a five-year-old, I was terrified, just terrified. But there's one thing I will never forget about that journey. My dad never once let go of my hand. We experience these dark, stormy nights, these places. And the question is, what dark, stormy, terrifying path are you on right now? Because God, your Father, the encourager, is always there. And he'll never, never let go of your hand. Secondly, the encourager always provides for our needs. In this story, Elijah's physical needs were the first and foremost. The angel also provided for Elijah's emotional and spiritual needs. We are complete beings. Just providing for our physical needs is inadequate. It has to be more. Studies have shown that infants raised in institutional settings, they might be bathed and fed and clothed, but if they're not held, caressed, and talked with, and given affection, they grow up emotionally scarred and bankrupt. Human beings need physical, emotional, and spiritual care. We are body, soul, and spirit. Distinct needs. And God provides all of those. He provides all of those. And he provides for our future needs as well. In verse 7, the angel gave him more nourishment. He didn't know what was coming. He didn't know what he's going to need, but God did. God provided enough for the coming challenge. Sometimes we don't know what's coming up, but God gives us what we need not only for right now, but for the coming challenge that's coming up. Now, we don't know what's ahead of us in 2022. Looks, looks scary at times, looks crazy. The only thing we know is that we don't know. We don't know what's coming up. But God does. God does. He'll provide for our future challenge as well. He provides for the things we don't yet know. That's what he does. And verse 8 says he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Obviously, there was something supernatural going on. Letter C, the encourager asks tough questions. Tough questions. In verse 9, 9 and 13, God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Has God ever asked you that question? What are you doing here? And we want to say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I earned this. This, this position. 
depressed, down in the dumps, discouraged, feeling sorry for ourselves, hiding. Sometimes we just hide. Elijah was in a cave, and God asks, what are you doing here? God, I have the right to be here. After all I've done, look, look where I am now. And sometimes when we're in the worst circumstances, we hide. We hide from people. We hide from circumstances, from trouble, from reality. We hide from other believers, and we hide from God. We think we do. Hide from God, discouraged. And God asks tough questions like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Fourthly, the encourager overlooks our excuses. Twice, Elijah gives his excuses. He said, I've been very zealous. The Israelites rejected your covenant. I worked in vain. It's no use. I've not accomplished anything. I'm all alone. I don't know if you've ever said that to God. I'm accomplishing nothing. I'm all alone. I'm the only Christian in this office. I'm the only Christian on this floor. I'm the only Christian in my family, in my school, on my campus, on my team. I've kept my nose clean. I've lived right. Where has it gotten me? Complain, 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 complain. That's why someone said, that's why God made goldfish. He likes to see something with its mouth open that's not complaining. <laughs> complaining. And you know, he didn't strike him dead. But somebody wrote this, how to be miserable, how to be miserable. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Insist on consideration and respect. And sulk if people are ungrateful for the favors you've shown them. That's how to be miserable. You know what? God overlooks our excuses. He overlooks our excuses. Well, let's move on to God's answer to discouragement. First one is renew your relationship with God. Renew your relationship with God. Get alone with God. Verses 11 and 12. Said, then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. There are three strong signs. Demonstration of God's power. There was a strong wind, first of all, but it said God was not in the wind. There was an earthquake, but he said God was not in the earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Finally, it says there was a sound of gentle blowing. The sound of gentle blowing. In the Hebrew, it's more descriptive. It's the sound of gentle quietness or the sound of gentle silence. We might know it as a still, small voice. Still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he hid his face because it was God. It was God. That is the wind. That gentle presence of God that will blow those blues away. The wind of God. Elijah had done mighty works, great signs and wonders that terrified people. But what had the greatest effect on Elijah? The still, small 
voice. Why? Because it was the voice of God. When we're discouraged, we need to hear the voice of God. We don't need a whirlwind of activity. We need to get away from earthquakes, get away from fires or putting out fires, and just get alone with God. Sometimes we can't hear the voice of God in the middle of all our activity and noise. We need to get alone with God. Take time to get alone with God. Some of my most incredible experiences, and some of you can identify with this if you have gone hiking or you've gone up on the mountains or you've gone out in the wilderness at a lake or on a beach or, or just on the mountaintop looking out, and you just listen to God. Say, God, speak to me. And just let him talk. Let him talk. Are you discouraged? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Renew your relationship with God. Or if you've never known God personally, maybe it's time to establish a relationship with God. God's second answer to discouragement is rest and nourishment. Rest and nourishment. Eat and sleep. Eat and sleep. When's the last time you got enough sleep? I'll be honest with you. We get up at five in the morning on Sundays. I never have quite enough sleep on Sunday mornings, but, but I think I'm awake. <laughs> what church is this? Oh, that's okay. Get enough sleep. When's the last time you took a full day off? Okay, full day off. Some people have an awfully difficult time taking a full day off, beginning to end. When's the last time you took a vacation? A vacation. And food. Third, mission. Go, a job to do. God sends Elijah on a mission. He sends him out to do some things. One of the best ways to get over discouragement, to get our eyes off of me, self-centeredness, is to have a task given to us. The best way to heal from grief or sorrow is to pour ourselves into the lives of others. What am, how can I give out? What can I do? The flow of giving brings a balm of healing. And the fourth answer to discouragement is community. Community. Join a connect group. I, it doesn't say that exactly. But he says, get together with other people. Many people think they can live their, their Christian life apart from community. Let me tell you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The church was made, just like our body parts, were made to be connected to the other parts of the body. And we must be in connection with other parts of the body. It doesn't have to be a formal, organized program or whatever but to be part of a body of believers where you have connection, connection. In verse 18, after Elijah said, I'm all alone, you know, which I'm sure you've said at times, I'm all alone. I'm the only one left, the only one left. And, and God says, I got 7,000 other ones just like you. <laughs> 7,000 who have never worshipped Baal. He's got 7,000. Now, you may feel all alone where you are, whether it's in family or your work or, or where you are today. 
One of the things that the pandemic has done is made us feel totally alone and isolated. That's why we have to mitigate against that and say, no, we're not going to stay isolated. We're going to get together. There are other people who have experienced the same things you have. You've got company. And we need to share community, walk with others who have experienced what we are experiencing. They're in the same boat now. Not to commiserate, but to liberate. Not to complain, but to celebrate. There is no such thing as solitary faith. It's not I, it's we. It's we. Where are you today? Are you discouraged? God wants to blow your blues away, no matter what the cause. And if you aren't discouraged this morning, find someone who is and help them out of their discouragement. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us life and life abundant. We thank you, Lord, that the Word of God doesn't gloss over stuff. It doesn't just say, come to me and everything will be great. We know that, that we still experience discouragement. We still experience challenges. And I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to our hearts and realize that, that you are there. And I just pray, God, that we would reach out to others who are discouraged. Many people don't have anybody to talk to. I pray, God, that we will ask you and say, God, show me who you want me to relate to and what I can do. And Lord, those who are discouraged, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to their hearts and give them and bring alongside an encourager as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?